Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new, joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. My name is Grant Agler. I'm from uh, Michigan. I come out here every once in a while. And yeah, it's good to, somebody knows me. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Love coming out here. I just really appreciate you guys because, man, there's a lot of people that like churches that like feel the need to like cater to their audience. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. It's like they whine and they say, we played a pipe for you, but you didn't dance. And we sang a dirge, but you didn't mourn. And Jesus is basically just like saying, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I love that because Christmas time, everybody's like, it's the Sunday before Christmas. We just want to hear a Christmas message, you know? And Quad City's like, we're going to talk about law and sin and death. That's what we're going to talk about. Because that's what we need, right? It's not, it's not what we want, but it's what we need. So today, uh, we're jumping right back into Romans chapter 7, just to pick it up where we started last week, or ended last week. Uh, Jason just talked about this law. So it's like we have this new thing in the New Testament. He's unpacking like what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus. And what does this mean for the law? What does this mean for the Old Testament? What does it mean for all these commands? Like, what do we, what do, we do with that? Do we just rip that part out of our Bible and throw it away? We don't need to pay attention to it anymore. Does it serve a purpose? What is the purpose? Because just telling people right and wrong didn't seem to accomplish much. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's actually going to unpack for us more. We started this last week. He's going to unpack for us more the, the, the benefits or the purpose of the law. And as we do that, I think we learn about the nature and character of God. Now, before we get to the kind of the heavy stuff, because there will be some weighty stuff today, I just want to encourage you, if you have to leave early, like I want you to hang out. If you're watching online, don't, don't shut it off early, because I just want you to hear, before we get to the tough stuff, that this message is really for you if you're one of these people. If you have ever felt like a miserable wretch, this is going to be the good stuff for you, okay? And I would bet that's more people in the room than we might think. If you know what to do but can't seem to do it. One of the biggest barriers to faith, one of the reasons this this church isn't three times the size it is and as full it is, is because people quit because they're just like, man, I just can't do it. I can't live up to the expectations of everything I find out. If that's you, this is a message for you. And then finally, if you need rescued, 
If you're just in a place where you're just like, man, I need, I, I am incapable, I am unable, and I need somebody to just kind of swoop in and rescue me. I want to tell you this message is for you. So hang in there because it will get a little heavy, uh, but then we'll get, we'll get to the good stuff. So Romans chapter 7, what do we do with this law? Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Because he's unpacked how the, the law actually works against us and sort of stands opposed to us. So what does that mean? Do we throw it away? Is it bad? Paul says, certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. I think that's a nice pause. Everybody out there is always trying to figure out what right and wrong is. Not, not everybody calls it sin. If you're outside of church circles, you don't, you don't always call it sin. But we're always trying to figure out what is morally right and wrong. What Scripture teaches us is that the law, God's command, is actually the only way we know what is sinful. So you have an understanding of right and wrong here today, but in order to understand all that's fully right and wrong, you need God's perspective. You need revelation because that's the only way we can even fully understand everything that is right and wrong. Then he says, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. So in other words, he's just, he's using an example He's like coveting, and I think he brings up a really good one. Because, you know, if you've ever heard a preacher worked up in a lather and he starts pointing out sins, right? He might talk about greed, he might talk about sexual immorality, he might talk about stealing, or whatever that is. Not very often does coveting make the list. And the reason is because it's so overlooked. And all that coveting is in Scripture is it is It is a yearning or it's a longing for something that is not yours. And I apologize, ladies, but I want you to hear the list from the Old Testament. Here's the list. Don't covet your neighbor's house, wife, or donkey. You're right in the middle there between the house and the donkey, and I apologize for that. But anyway, that's the idea. You shouldn't long for or yearn yearn for something that, that isn't yours. That doesn't mean you don't have fleeting moments, right? But it, that where you desire something, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't fester on that. You shouldn't become obsessed with that. Now, I've never seen one of my neighbor's donkeys that I just could not stop thinking about, <laughs> fortunately. Um, but I have seen my neighbor's truck. Give you some context. I drive a 2013 Ford Focus hatchback. I don't know if you know what vehicle we're talking about, but every time somebody sees me get out of it, they're like, did you just... Did you just get out of that little car? That's what you just got? Uh, so I'll be at a gas station. I'll see somebody pull up in, a, in an F-250 or something, you know, and I'm, I covet. It's there. And, uh, and there's a yearning or a longing, or maybe we do that. And, and this is what's so powerful about the commandment, is we wouldn't even address that as, we wouldn't even know that. You might think adultery is the sin, or you might think that stealing is the sin, or you might, you might think that pursuing your life after gain is the sin, but, but he says, no, it actually starts in your heart. It starts with what you long for, with what you obsess about, with what you think about. And that is a very heavy place to be because there's very little accountability for it. But he said, Paul's basically using this as an illustration. He said, I wouldn't even have known that was wrong. If it weren't for the law, the law serves an incredibly good purpose. Now, we could just stop there and go, okay, we got it. That's the purpose of sin, or that's the purpose of the law. 
The purpose of the law is to make it clear what is right and what is wrong. It has a purpose. Thank you, Paul. That's so great, so helpful. But here's the problem. It's actually more complicated than that. And many of us spend our lives, in fact, I would say everybody, everybody spends their life in this world of, well, all we have to do, this is life, we just have to figure out what's right and what's wrong. We don't do the wrong stuff and we do the right stuff. That's if you've been following Jesus, that's if you were raised in church, that's if you're a part of a different religion, that's if you're an atheist. Everybody is just trying to figure out, as long as I figure out what's right and what's wrong, and I do the right stuff and I don't do the wrong stuff, then I'm a good person. I would say that the number one competition with Christianity is not Islam or Buddhism. It's the religion of, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. That's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to live in this world where we know right, we know wrong, and I'm a good person if I execute that. My neighbor, I was inviting to church uh, one day, and I was having a conversation, and he turned to me. He's a kind of an older, gruff guy, and he was like, I don't need to go to church to be a good person. And the first I wanted to tell him, man, the first thing we tell you if you come to church is that you're not a good person, especially if you come to Quad City Christian Church. The, f- the first thing we're going to tell you is you're not you're not a good person. The, the reason, again, that these places aren't full is because people, people think that that's what we're trying to do here is that we're trying to be good people. That's the whole game in life. But it's more complicated than that. Learning what's right and what's wrong, this is what Paul's going to tell us here, it actually creates a problem. It's not just the education or the learning of what's right and what's wrong. And, and some of us think that, man, if we could just get everybody on the planet to just agree with what's right and what's wrong, everything would be fine. No, no, no. That only creates a problem. And he's going to explain the problem. He says, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, In other words, the commandment was received that you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not covet, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. In other words, he's painting this picture. He was, he's saying, I, I used to be out there just wandering around in a, in a grass field and I didn't even know what wrong was. I was living in, in ignorance. He says, once I was alive, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. In other words, when when he came to an understanding, when you are told that something is wrong, all of a sudden you are actually, it creates more of a problem because you you push back against it. You fight about it and you fight back against it and you want to do it even more. Here's what he says. He says, "I, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. In other words, learning what's right and wrong actually makes things worse. I think this is just an important principle to understand in general when it comes to parenting, when it comes to to, to the way we treat people. The commandments, or we might apply it to our modern day law, does telling people not to murder, does that result in people not murdering? Telling people to, to, to not steal, does that result in people not stealing? No, people still do it. People still know that it's right and wrong. In fact, 86% of Americans think that adultery is wrong in every case. And yet 30 to 40% of Americans commit adultery. 
So the, the telling people that it's wrong, the knowing that it's wrong, the learning of the right and the wrong doesn't actually make it better. In fact, it makes it worse. My wife came out with me to Arizona this weekend and we left our kids at home. Our younger two kids are 17 and almost 15. So this is the first time they're home alone. And some of you are like, wow, brave. We're leaving them alone for the first time because we trust them at least as much as you can trust a 17 and a 15-year-old. And uh, it actually has me nervous because I've been reflecting on when I was 16 and my parents left me home alone. So I grew up on a farm in Nebraska. My parents left for a week. And my mom came to me and she said, okay, we're going to leave you home alone. My dad said, I'm going to give you a bunch of chores. Like, you're going to be so busy. The theory is the devil finds work for idle hands, right? So they're going to keep me super busy. And then mom laid out the rules. And, she, and you need to understand this. I was not a good child. Like, I wasn't even trying to be a good child, okay? I didn't know Jesus. Um, my mom came and said, okay, we're going to leave you alone in a couple weeks. Here's the rules. Don't have anybody over to the house. Don't have any parties, which you'd think was covered with rule number one, but it wasn't. Don't have any parties. Don't, don't have any alcohol. There's not going to be any drinking in our house. And don't get the guns out. Why she threw that one in there, I don't know. Now, she thought she was giving me these, these rules, but what she was giving me was a to-do list. <laughs> like, honestly, when they told me they were going to leave me alone, my only thought was, oh, I, I'm that's cool. I can stay up as late as I want. I can watch whatever I want on TV. I'll just be free. And then my mom said, don't have any friends over. And I'm like, oh yeah, I could have friends over. In the moment she told me that, I started plotting having my friends over. And then I thought, a party. I never thought about that. We could have a party. No alcohol? What's a party without alcohol? Again, not a follower of Jesus, bad example. Don't be me. Um, and so here's what happened. The first night that they were gone, like, I just, I had a few of my friends over. Everything was fine. It worked, worked good. You know, they told me not to have girls over either. So, so the next night, we had a party, and there were girls. And then the third night, word got out that there was this farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, where anybody could come. And so we had the biggest party, people I didn't even know, girls showed up I'd never met before, which is weird in a small town like that. But anyway, they, they showed up, and I, there was more people than I'd ever seen in one place together. There must have been 25 people. <laughs> Big time stuff. And, uh, and we had this party, and then, I don't know, it's almost as if I remember my mom saying, don't get out the guns. And at this party, I was like, we can get out the guns. And uh, we got the guns out, and I was just kind of showing them off, and then I don't know whose idea it was, but it was like, hey, now that we've been drinking, here's a good idea. Let's all load up in a truck and go shoot stuff. And that's what we did. So we got in this truck, somebody that had been drinking was driving, everybody with guns who had been drinking, and we were driving through these county roads. We didn't actually kill anything, but we did shoot several stop signs. Like, that's... That's really what we were hunting. So if you've ever been out in the country and you're like, what are, what are the idiots out here shooting the road signs? That's, that's the idiot. And it, just to finish that story, I, so I'm sitting in the truck with this loaded weapon, and a, in a moment of sobriety, I just thought, I'm going to die. This is where I die with all of these idiots out here. So I hunkered in the back of the truck, terrified for my life, had a little moment where I sort of came to Jesus. Anyway, the point is, my 
when we hear like what we're not supposed to do, it almost inspires us. We almost push back. We rebel against it. We, it brings the idea to our attention. And now we want to do it more than we ever did it before. Paul's saying the immediate effects of the law was actually a negative response. And that, again, is why these churches aren't bigger and fuller than they are. Because some people are like, man, I don't want to come to church and just feel guilty. You make me feel guilty about stuff. I don't want to do that. And so one of the first steps in the process is really understanding how far away we are. He says, so then the law is holy. It's good. It shines a light in the darkness in our hearts. And the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Now, Paul also understands where we come from and he's able to empathize with us. So it's good and it's holy and it's righteous. But this is what he says. He says, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. In other words, the command, man, the commandment's like this, this flashlight, this spotlight that brings everything into light. And now all of a sudden, you are more aware and more guilty. And if you really look at the law and let it reflect your heart, you become to understand how very far away from God you are. This is a very important step. God wants sin to become utterly sinful. Now, here's why this is a big deal. Because there is a form of grace out there where people will tell you that grace is basically God going, oh, don't worry about it. You're, you're good kids. It's, I get it. Everybody makes mistakes. You're all sinners. Like, it's okay. Grace. And that's the God I want, right? When I make mistakes, I want to come before God and have God go, oh, Grant, you scallywag. Get out of here. Do better. You know, that's what I want. And some people would tell you that that's what the grace of God is, but that's not the grace of God. The grace of God starts with sin becoming utterly sinful, even more sinful than we can imagine. Here's what we think of as grace we think that this is our life and our heart and everything that we've got going on. And we don't even understand the depths of our own heart and our life. And I, I even got a Christmas. Christmas bag. See? Christmas right here in Romans. Anyway, uh, he, this is our life, and we come before God, and we place it before God, and we're like, God, there's a lot of stuff in there. You know, right? So I, I'm sorry. It's bad. I'm going to go try to do better. Could you just, just take that and go cast it in whatever holy incinerator you have, and we can, we can forget about that and move on? And God's like, yeah, yeah, that's good. Let's... Uh, Let's have a look. Let's get in there. And we're like, well, well I, I don't know if we need to do that, right? Everybody's a sinner. We're all sinners. I'm better off than some, not as good as others. We get the deal. Like, just take it and take it away. God's like, no, I'm, I think we need to take a look. So he, he like starts digging around. We get nervous. We don't necessarily like that. Maybe you're reading scripture. Maybe you're going to church and you're like, Ugh. I was okay with a little bit of this, but he's really getting around in there. And he starts saying, boy, there's some stuff. There's some stuff. There's some stuff you don't even know is in here. And, uh, and he's like, let's, uh, let's take a look. So he gets it all out, and we're like, ah, not, not like that. And, and he, he looks around at our sin, and he's like, okay, so here's what you got. You got some, it looks like you got some greed stuff. Greed, yeah, greedy. 
coveting. Coveting goes right along with the greed. So we'll kind of stack that up over here. It's like, yeah, looks. I mean, you're not abnormal. You got the you got the lust thing going on over here. In fact, it's kind of all these over here. Oh, and you're like, oh God, but I don't I don't want anybody to kind of know about that. I would hate it if anybody know. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point because you've got ego. That's over here. You got plenty of ego. Of course, you don't want anybody to know about that. And and then you're like, okay, God, you're looking at it. That's my stuff. I know all about that. And we're like, yeah, but there's actually some stuff over here you don't even know about. This is actually way worse than you think. And you're like, I didn't, I didn't even know that was wrong. I didn't even know that was bad. And he's like, oh yeah, there's a lot more where that came from. But just, to, just so you can live with yourself, we'll just leave it at this. And then you're like, okay, all right. Okay, yeah, it's a bigger deal than I thought. And then God's like, yep, yep. All right, well, let's dig into it. Let's go a little step farther. Let's dig in here. I do hate that I'm illustrating sin with yellow Play-Doh. But anyway... Uh, he's, he, he digs into it deeper than we ever thought. And we're like, man, he's just, he's like digging into my heart and my soul. He's like getting everything in there. And God starts to go through it all. And he begins to take the lids off of everything. And he begins to dig into every aspect of it because sin is, is utterly sinful. That's where God has to start. It's to to get it so you're at a place where you understand it all. To get it at a place where you fully get Sin, that's the purpose of the law. That's the purpose of him teaching us that the, what sin is by a constant practice of understanding is. He wants to get it all out there. He doesn't want to just wave it off and be like, ah, you can do better next time. He wants to cast a light on it. He wants to dig it up. Honestly, you wouldn't want to go to a doctor like that, would you? You wouldn't want to go to a doctor and be like, all right, I did my checkup. And the doctor's like, well, <sighs> bad news. I don't know how long, much longer you have to live. But you don't want to worry about stuff like that. You want a sucker? You want a sticker? Head on out. And you'd be like, no, no, doc, tell me what it is. Is it, is it cancer? It's because I'm fat, isn't it? It's because I'm, I need to lose some weight. Tell, tell me, doc, tell me to eat a salad, right? That's the motivation I've needed. Now, you want the doctor to get in there and tell you, like, the real stuff. God doesn't want to just forgive you. God wants you to be fully aware and see how utterly sinful and far away you are from him. But there's good news coming. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Slaves have what? Slaves have masters. In this case, a master, it's not human. We're all very concerned about uh, slaves being owned by humans. But he's saying it's actually worse than this. This is a worse master than a human. Your master is the behavior in your life that you know about. The behavior in your life that disgusts you. The behavior in your life that makes you feel like that awful person. You have become a slave to it. You have to be obedient to it. And then he says, I do not understand what I do. Can I make the point? This is the Apostle Paul. This is a guy who knows his Old Testament. This is a guy who was literally knocked off his horse by Jesus, who had a dramatic encounter, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, who spread the gospel all over the ancient world. The reason we have a faith today is because of the, the work that Paul did. He is saying, writer of the New Testament, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate... I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law 
is good. In other words, this isn't the law's problem. The law is, I'm agreeing with it. What I'm doing is wrong. Everybody, anybody been in that spot? I don't need you to convince me. I know already what I'm doing is wrong. He says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Now, this isn't one of those, like, get out of jail free cards. It's not like, well, the devil made me do it. Sin made me do it. He's identifying what the issue is that we have a sin problem. And this is universal for every person that has ever been born, ever. This isn't for the bad people. This isn't for the people out there that are really struggling. This is all of us. We all have a sin problem. This sin is driving us to slavery. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. You ever been there? There's probably two groups of people in this room. There's the people in here that would compare yourself to the people around you. You're going to find somebody out there that is far worse off than you, and you're going to be like, well, at least I don't have a drug addiction, or at least I'm not a murderer. In Michigan, we'd say, at least you don't root for Ohio State. I don't know what the version is around here. Like, like you're going to compare yourself, and you're going to say, well, at least I'm not that. And you're going to compare yourself, and you're going to say, see, I'm, I'm not that bad a person. And you'll try to minimize this. I think it's important for you to understand that's not what the Apostle Paul's doing. He's allowing the law, he's allowing Scripture to do its work. He's saying, no, it is wrong. I agree with the law. It is wrong. I just can't keep myself from doing it. The second group of people are those of you in here that, man, you feel that. The, the reason that I didn't follow Jesus for many years, the reason I kept putting it off is because I tried it and I couldn't do it. I would go to church, I would read scripture, and it was just such a high standard. And I would wake up in the morning and I'd be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to mention it. I'm going to say out loud the name of Jesus to somebody. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to behave. I'm going to have a holy mouth. I'm going to, like, do the right thing. I'm going to abstain from lying and drinking and, like, all these things. And, whew, here we go. And then by 2 o'clock, well, forget that. You know, we still got a half a day left, and I would just give up. And so it kept me from faith. It kept me from wanting to even follow God. And I was like, well, if I can't. And honestly, again, one of the reasons churches aren't fuller is because there's so many people out there like, I don't want to be made to feel guilty. I can't do it. So why even try? And there's there's a lie that we believe that we are somehow worse or more depraved or worse off than other people. And I just need you to hear the Apostle Paul is identifying with that. And he continues to go even farther, and he says, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He's a slave. He's a prisoner. He's trapped. This is Paul. This is our example. This is somebody who gets it. 
And you might feel like that today. You might feel in prison. You might feel enslaved. You might feel trapped. And you're stuck. And then Paul says something that I believe, I believe is the answer. It's the key. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I think this is the answer. This is the place we have to get to, and sometimes we don't get to this place. We end up sort of resurrecting the the Old Testament, the law 2.0. We resurrect the law. We resurrect this idea of you just got to know right and wrong. You got to execute them. And if I can execute them better than the people around me, and and if most days I can go to bed feeling like I'm a good person, then I've succeeded. And he is at a place where he's going, no, what a, what a wretched man I am. I am completely incapable. I can't do it. I need somebody to rescue me from this body of death because I am enslaved. I'm imprisoned. I'm trapped. So again, to those two groups of people, some of you out there, you might be going, you might be going, uh, the comparison game. You might be going, well, I'm doing better than most people. And I just want you to know, that's just the law 2.0. That's just a law that you've created in your own head. That's the religion of I'm a good person. And it doesn't save anybody and it doesn't help anybody and it doesn't transform anybody. You need to come to that place where you go, what a wretch I am. I've been reading um, Charles Dickens' uh, Christmas Carol. And uh, I always thought there were some great lines in the movies. And I was like, I bet there's some really good stuff if you actually read the book. So it had been a decade or so since I read a book. And I thought... Let's do it. So anyway, I'm re- as far as novels go. So anyway, I'm reading, I'm reading through this, and man, there are some great lines. And one line that really sticks out to me is when Marley comes to Scrooge, and, and Marley is filled with remorse and regret, just in despair of the remorse and the regret in his life and the way he treated people. And, and he's trying to warn Scrooge. And Scrooge is stubborn, hard-hearted, comparative to the people around him, trying to justify his own life responds and says, but Marley, you were always a good man of business. To which Marley shrieks in response and he says, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, benevolence, forbearance, there were my business. The The work of my trade was but just a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. And then he cries out, woe is me. And as you read through this masterful story, you see it at the end. And the difference between Marley and Scrooge is that Scrooge is given the ability to see his wretchedness. He had justified himself. He had believed that everything he had done is good. He compared himself to the world around him. He had become cynical and hard-hearted to everybody. But in the end, in this life, before he was saddled with the chains and the burden and and the eye-opening experience of passing from this life to the next, he was able to see and make the change and stop justifying and accepting. And he realized that he was a wretch. And when he realized he was a wretch, He was able to be saved. He was able to find freedom in just acknowledging exactly who it is. So he says, for who is able to save me from this body of death? And the answer is 
Thanks be, this is what he says, thanks be to Jesus Christ. It is Christ who rescues me. If you don't view yourself as somebody that has been rescued, then you need to be rescued. If you view yourself as somebody that's just made some good life decisions and you're doing more right now than wrong, and you, you did that on your own, then you have missed faith. He concludes then by saying, So then, I myself and my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I am a slave to the law of sin. Today, I just want to encourage you in this way. I, I always understood it theologically how I was supposed to view my sin in God's sight. I always understood that. But I never really knew it until my kids were older. And here's the thing about my kids. When the, when the kids turn teenagers, they're just the worst. I mean, it's okay to admit I was the worst when I was a teenager. I think I've made that pretty clear. How many people in here would admit you were at your worst when you were a teenager? Yeah, there you go. Wow, the early crowd, apparently, maybe they just don't remember being a teenager. But anyway, there you go. Yeah, we were the worst. And I don't even throw, I'm not even throwing shade at teenagers, like, because that's just the way it is. That's the way life works. You're, you've got these new desires. You've got this new ego, this new desire for independence. You've got this new sexual drive. You've got a lot of stuff that's cooking at full steam, and you don't have the maturity to, like, know how to deal with it. So you will be at your worst when you're a teenager, and then in some cruel trick, as parents, we're usually going through a midlife crisis or menopause, right, on the other side of that. It's, it's, it's great. It works together so great. Um, but anyway, when you're a teenager, you're, uh, you're, you're struggling with, with things. And here's the thing. I know that about my kids. Every one of my kids, I know. I know that they're struggling with this hypocrisy that they're living. They know that they're one person at home and one person at church and they're another person at school. And I know that that life is so different that they, they can feel it in senses that it is literally two lives that they are living out. I know that they struggle to be fully honest. I know that they struggle to, they, they, they take the shortcuts in life and they cover up their sin as a, versus a, admitting it. I, I know that they've got phones and access to the worldwide, inter, worldwide web and they can do, see anything. They can text anybody. They can send pictures. They can receive pictures. Like, I know that my kids aren't just like, reading their Bible on their phone, I guess is what I'm saying. I know them. I'm not dumb. So every once in a while, this doesn't happen very often. I don't want you to think I'm a better parent than I am. But every once in a while, my kids will come and they will, they will just confess. They will just acknowledge. They will ask for help. They'll be like, Dad, I've been I've been living this way and this way, or I'm struggling with this, or I have questions about this, and this is just who I am, and they just come and they dump it all out. And when that happens, I don't go, what is wrong with you? You're the worst kid. We have four. You're the worst. I, I never, you, you thought that you were the worst? You are. You are for sure the worst. I never say that. How do, how do I respond? I go, my response is always, Finally, finally, you just acknowledge what I already know. And now that you're here, now that you're talking to me about it, like the, the sky's the limit. Like I'm here for you, whatever you need, I will help you through this. I will be with you every step of the way. I got, I got $73 in a bank account, if that'll help. Like we'll, we'll fix this thing, right? And, and that's how our Heavenly Father responds to us. He doesn't say, Oh, don't worry about it. I'm sure you're better than some, <laughs> not as good as others. I was like that when I was your age. No big deal. You'll get better. 
Our Heavenly Father comes to us and he, he wants us to see what it is. He wants us to see that it's actually deeper than we could possibly imagine. And then he wants to accept us as his sons and daughters anyway. He wants to establish us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to redeem us. The Apostle Paul, when he would go from town to town and village to village and he would express the gospel, he would start with this. I am the worst of all sinners. Christ came to, to save sinners of whom I am the worst. When was the last time you expressed the gospel? Maybe not in those exact words, but in that same way. I'm, I'm the worst. Instead of comparing yourself or looking around the world around you. And so that's what Christ comes to does, to, to see everything it is and make us his children anyway. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for your grace. Not a grace that turns a blind eye or ignores or doesn't look directly at our sin, but a God, God, the grace that fully shines a light through your law, through your truth, shines a light into the darkest part of our hearts and, and shows us that we are worse than we ever thought and then restores and heals us and transforms us and makes us new and calls us sons and daughters. God, I pray that that would be everybody's identity in here. Not that we would walk out of here being people that have it all figured out, but God, that we would walk out of here with the identity that we are, we are wretches who need your grace, who need to be rescued, who need to be transformed by you, and that we could walk forward knowing that's exactly what you've done in our lives. God, I pray that we would find freedom in repentance and that you would come and give us times of, of healing and washing and of renewal that follow repentance. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.